St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. Life was good for Robert and Linda Finley. They were at an age when a lot of people retire, but not Linda and Robert. Robert's auto body shop was busy. The couple spent weekends with friends riding four-wheelers up and down backwoods trails. The muddier, the better. Sure, he had diabetes and high blood pressure, but nothing too serious. So when Mercy Hospital closed, the Finleys had no reason to be terribly concerned. Except, Kansas winters can be tricky, and that February, there was a nasty cold spell. It was icy. He come in the house about 5.30. He had been out to pick up the mail, and he laughed and said, it's a wonder I didn't knock myself out. He said, I fell in the driveway and hit my head real hard. We had a conversation whether he was okay or what, and he seemed to think he was fine. And he'd done his normal things. Linda seems to remember every detail as she tells me about that day. Robert grabbed dinner, went down to his man cave to watch some TV, and went to bed around 9.30. At 4 a.m., he wakes up with a sick stomach and excruciating headache. Robert takes a couple of extra-strength Tylenol and tells Linda he'll be fine. Then he closes his eyes. And it actually just went downhill from there. He um, was sitting in the recliner. I thought that he hadn't had a lot of rest, and so he kind of went to sleep. Well, then I realized that his breathing seemed to be erratic. And I thought, oh, my God, he's got a bad concussion. I can't let him sleep. Linda says she tries to wake him up, but can't. I'm going on one. Yes, I need an ambulance at Mickle Road immediately. And what's going on? My husband fell yesterday and hit his head. And now he's went to sleep this morning and I can't wake him up. Okay, how old is he? 70. When Fort Scott's hospital shut down, so did its emergency department, temporarily. Another hospital was planning to operate the ER, but it hadn't yet reopened. Even so, the town kept its ambulance crews, and they came fast. Linda says the EMS guys take one look at Robert's eyes, and they suspect a brain hemorrhage. Robert needs to get to a hospital with a neurology center. The closest is about 100 miles north in Kansas City. So an EMS worker calls for a helicopter medevac. We are triage bridge. This is near air, air ambulance. Fort Scott went without its emergency department for 18 days. Local emergency workers call it the dark period. And what happened then helped me understand how complicated rural care becomes after a hospital closes. Delays in emergency care can cost patients dearly. I'm Sarah Jane Tribble. This is Where It Hurts, a new podcast from KHN and St. Louis Public Radio. Season one is No Mercy.
I pieced together what happened after talking with Linda and listening to the 911 tape recording that Fort Scott officials provided. While the EMS crew work on Robert, a dispatcher in Fort Scott dials an air ambulance company. Did you want to remain on the line while I check with my closest available, or would you like me to give you a call back? Uh, I'll remain on the line. When the medevac operator comes back on the line, the news isn't good. Um, my Nevada crew is not available, and my person's crew has declined. Um, I, I will be reaching out to... The first helicopter base said no, so did the second. The operator doesn't say why, just that they can't come. So she keeps looking for a taker. EMS one County, being around. 10-4. Meanwhile, at the Finley's home, Linda says the EMS crew was really worried about Robert's brain. They load him up and drive towards what was Mercy Hospital. That's where the helipad is. Linda gets in her car to follow. And so they they just loaded him up and took off. And when I got out there, I go flying in the hospital in the emergency room and realize, you know, there's a cardboard sign in front of the door that they're closed for remodel. And I'm like, they just brought Robert Finley in here. Well, they didn't bring him in here. He must still be out in the ambulance. There were people there? Yes. In her rush and panic, Linda forgot the ER had closed days before. She's standing outside the doors, the lights are on, but Robert's not inside. A worker comes to the door and says the EMS crew and Robert are actually parked behind Linda. So this young lady said, I'll check. And she went out and the EMTs were out there with Robert in the ambulance. In the back of the ambulance, Linda says there's a tube down Robert's throat and the EMS crew is hand pumping oxygen into his lungs. I played the EMS recording over and over and counted up the time. For more than 30 minutes, Robert lay unconscious in the back of the ambulance waiting. While the EMS crew and Linda wait, they talk. Remember, it's a small town. Linda knows one of the guys on the crew. So they try to prepare her for what's to come. They told me, I don't even remember now how long it'd be. And they said, but if you want to go home and pack a bag and stuff and meet us at St. Luke's because this is going to be a bad deal. It's going to be a long, drawn-out deal. When this kind of trauma happens, time matters. It takes time for the medevac operator to find a pilot to come for Robert. The pilot then has to get there. Once he's arrived, he still has to transport Robert to Kansas City. Vitals are all stable. I'm just supporting his ventilation. We'll see you here in a few minutes. Robert was in Kansas City for several days, and he never woke up. People who live near a rural hospital when it closes are at least 6% more likely to die after the hospital closes compared to before. Researchers did not find that same increase in deaths after an urban hospital shuts down. A health economist at the VA in Palo Alto, California, uncovered this statistic. There are a variety of reasons for this, but being able to have good health care that's easy to get plays a role. In Fort Scott, lots of people say they need a traditional full-service hospital. Some are still holding out hope that a hospital will return. Others say they would be happy with a hybrid. They're all trying to figure out what Fort Scott needs. It's become sort of a town pastime. And it's a question I ask nearly everyone I meet. The local lumberyard owner, former hospital staff, and farmers having coffee at the local gas station. What kind of health care do you think this community needs going forward? Well, we need to have a hospital and an emergency room. 
I think you need to have primary care clinic. You need to be able to go and get your preventative medicine. You need to be able to get a mammogram. You can go in and have labs drawn to know if you're pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, immunizations for our children. And then uh, after primary care... My doctor went to Pittsburgh to Via Christi. So if I get very bad, I'll go down there. If I just got a cold or something, I'll go into uh, the walk-in unit up here. But uh, I'm just lucky, don't have to go very often, so. If anyone is in a position to have an opinion, it's Linda Finley. I asked her too. Linda was with her friend Susan Wood, a former nurse at Mercy. Susan spoke first. Like I say, just an emergency room and maybe a two to three day stay type facility. Again, if you need a neurologist, a pulmonologist, a cardiologist, if you're having a heart attack or a blood clot in your lung or whatever, you're going to have to go somewhere anyway because the specialties are not here in rural America. Linda joins in, and at first, her thought seems unrelated, but then... I have a police scanner at home, and it is nonstop sending people from here to Via Christi. Linda and Robert have a police scanner, and she's telling me that without the hospital, the local ambulance crews are driving out of town every day to deliver patients to another hospital called Via Christi in the next town over. So it's like everyone in town has an opinion. But the opinion that's going to make the biggest difference is Rita Baker's, the hospital's former president. More than anyone, Rita decided what Fort Scott's residents would have after there was no mercy. I asked her, too. Yeah, for the people in the community, getting that quick and immediate emergency care, my heart really sunk when I thought, maybe we won't have this. Because to me, that is a tragedy. Rita says no ER means there's a higher chance for what she calls bad outcomes. Because a paramedic in the field, they don't have the training to decide, should this person really be flying from this house? Or do we have time to take them 45 minutes or an hour to an emergency room? So to me, it, it is absolutely critical that this community have an emergency room. An ER, even if it's a standalone like the one Fort Scott has now, has nurses and physicians in charge of crucial decisions. I think the patients that I worry for are the stroke patients because there's irreversible brain damage. There are a lot of elderly people here who there could are. have a stroke or maybe other a worse heart things. Heart attack or, you know, the traumas, the heart attacks, the strokes are the ones that I, I feel the most urgent need for an ER. Rita's determination made sure Fort Scott had an ER. But is that enough? It's June. The sun is high and sweat is sliding down my back. I'm with a small crowd at Fort Scott's historic fort, waiting to see an air ambulance land. There it is. There's lots of excitement, especially from the kids. The helicopter circles above, getting closer, then pulling away, then closer again, teasing the crowd. Seven-year-old Cadence is playing with a plastic bead necklace and watching the sky. You're here to watch the EMS helicopter? Why are you interested in it? Because it's going to show us how it's going to help other people because we don't have the hospital anymore. That's a really thorough answer. How do you know about the hospital? Because we drew, drove by it and we used to go there 
for my brother because he had uh, asthma. I asked Cadence what she thought of the hospital when it was open. That it took care of us and we should help it too if it helps us. The helicopter display and landing is part of Fort Scott's Good Old Days Festival. The Pioneer Fort decided to host the ambulance because they hoped it would bring families to their fairground. For the kids, it's fun to see a big bird up close for the first time. For the adults, like Cadence's mom, Don Anderson, air ambulances must seem more essential, like a lifeline now that Mercy Hospital is gone. Don's four-year-old Connor has really bad asthma attacks. And when he has one, they drive 35 to 40 minutes with a gasping preschooler to the hospital in the next town over. Here's Don. It's obviously scary with a young one when he's having breathing complications. I don't like to have to commute that far, but that's the closest for us, so. I'm puzzled though. Fort Scott has an ER now, and I want to make sure Don knows. But they do have the ER still. He was admitted several times um, with his asthma issues. They would usually put him in the hospital, at least overnight for observation because he's so young. And so now they send us automatically to Pittsburgh for those types of services. So she's telling me that Fort Scott's new ER doesn't have what her family needs. They need a full-service hospital, so they make the drive. We definitely miss having an actual functioning hospital. It's good that we have emergency services. It was scary until we knew for sure that we'd keep those, but we considered moving at several points in order to be closer to a hospital that would be able to take care of his needs. So. Air ambulances, like the one landing here today, are part of the solution. Mommy, please don't take off. Can we watch it take off? Did you like it? (laughs) I really like it. It's big, too. The repeller thing very huge. Cadence and her brother are very impressed by the helicopter, and it is quite exciting. The blades stop spinning, a pilot and his crew step out, and the crowd rushes forward, jockeying for spots to meet them. After the landing, I caught up with Don. How do you feel now that you've seen it? Relieved, I guess, knowing that we at least have some, some type of uh, transport if there is an emergency. In Don's mind, the ER wasn't enough, but this air ambulance makes her feel better. I'm not so sure. I decided to come to the helicopter landing today because I have some unanswered questions about what happened to Robert and Linda Findlay and why they waited so many minutes for that helicopter to arrive. You're my last interview of the day. Okay. I'm going to go get a funnel cake afterwards and sit down. <laughs> so you're Mike Samuelson, right? Yes, and that's you're right. A pilot? Yeah, I'm a pilot. He doesn't know about Robert's case, but he's been a medevac pilot for about 15 years. First, I asked him why a pilot would say no or decline a flight. Mike told me that if the weather is bad, it's not safe for pilots to fly. The second big question I have is about how long it took for the air ambulance to get to Fort Scott. What kind of um, response times do you have if you get a call from, say, Fort Scott, 
When would you expect to get here and what standards? By the time we get the call, uh, it takes us about 10 minutes to get the helicopter uh, ready and get airborne. And then, of course, in whatever time it takes to fly. For example, from Pittsburgh to Fort Scott, it's about a 15-minute flight. It's pretty fast. As Mike keeps talking, I have one of those moments where my heart feels like it's pounding in my head. Only 15 minutes to get to Fort Scott? But you can hear on the 911 call, the operator tells Fort Scott's EMS crew that it will take an estimated 38 minutes for the air ambulance to arrive. Plus, Mike tells me it's another 40-minute flight from Fort Scott to the hospital in Kansas City. It's difficult to know if, for Robert, those minutes mattered. Linda said he went to bed and slept after hitting his head. So maybe with the brain bleed, the damage was already done. But that EMS crew must have thought every minute counted. That's why they called for an air ambulance. In the world of emergency medicine, there's this thing called the golden hour. It's a way of saying that the first 60 minutes or so after a trauma is important for survival. No matter where you start counting up the minutes, when he hit his head, when the EMS crew gets there, that time ran out for Robert. The same weekend I meet Mike the pilot, I visit Linda too. It's been a few months, and I'm guessing her emotions are less raw. Finley Body Repair sets around a curve on a paved road about two miles outside of town. The auto shop is a big aluminum building. The house is off to the side, and in between, there's a small garden. The body shop was Robert's. The vegetable patch is Linda's. It's early summer. Robert's been gone about five months, and the tomatoes look weak and sickly. They look so bad. And I replanted, and then we got way more rain again, and horrible. I doubt that they produce very well. I may just have to go buy my tomatoes from the Amish this year. In other years, Linda had enough fruits and vegetables to give away. This is my pantry of canned goods. Wow. Is this all from last summer? A lot of it is, yes. Would you like a jar of homemade salsa? Wow. <laughs> salsa, dill pickles, green verde sauce. That's what I thought it was. That's amazing. You want some of that, too? <laughs> so you must spend a lot of time doing this. How long have you been canning? All my married life. From the beginning, their life revolved around cars. Linda told me about it. I laugh because when we first got married, he had like a 68 Chevy Camaro, and it was a four-speed on the floor. And I used to tell people I would drive it to the grocery store and have scrambled eggs by the time I got home from jerking <laughs> at all the stoplights taken off. And people would pull. He was known for his drag racing. They would pull up beside us and rev their engine, and then what was called Three Mile Corner, which is just down the road from where... I still live, they would go out there and drag race on the highway till someone called the highway patrol and then we'd all disappear. It was like something you see on TV, but yeah. So everyone in the county knew Robert drove fast cars, and if yours was broke, you could count on him to fix the car. To know Robert, we have to spend time in his shop. So I work up the courage to ask Linda to see it. This was his office. See? Scanner. 
Linda is pointing to Robert's old police scanner. It was how he could keep tabs on car accidents and potential customers around town. And it's also how Robert and Linda knew about every emergency that happened in Fort Scott. Between the static, beeps, and garbled voices, Linda and Robert heard every day what kind of emergency care Fort Scott needed. As I think about the scanner, I'm looking around. There are ribbons on the walls and papers everywhere, packed shelves. You could find just about anything you want in his drawers. They are all full. Suddenly, I'm a bit overwhelmed. What are you going to do with all of this? I don't know. Are those 4-H ribbons for, for cars? For every year, we always bought usually a pig from the 4-H kids at the livestock auction every year. She tells me Robert grew up in Future Farmers of America and 4-H, so he knew what it meant to the kids. Plus, he shared some of the meat with his workers. I follow Linda out of the office into this wide-open space where cars are still setting up on lifts. No, really, what, what are you going to do with all this? I don't know. I see those, these folders were all estimates on cars to be done that the ones we had here, we finished the jobs. And then I had to let these people know that we couldn't work on. So. Back in the house, I asked Linda again whether Fort Scott has the right kind of health care. Just for regular doctor's appointments, whatever, that's, that's more or less fine. But words of experience is you don't know when that tragedy is going to happen. If anybody can tell me exactly how much Fort Scott has lost, it's Linda. And she gives it to me straight up. You know, I don't think losing the hospital is the end of the world for Fort Scott, but I sure think it put an ugly notch in our belt. And not just Fort Scott, all these other hospitals that have closed down. I mean, my gosh, you need to feel like you're safe and could be taken care of where you're at. What does it mean to be taken care of, to have the health care you need in a small town? For a long time in Fort Scott, that meant a nun from the Sisters of Mercy sitting by your bedside, taking your temperature with the back of her hand. But health care has changed. Next time, we meet the town historian who can't believe Mercy Hospital is gone. I wondered what happened to Mercy's mission. In other words, At what point did they put the dollar over service? He hasn't had the chance to ask the Mercy Nuns that question. But I can. Special thanks to the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press and Max Couch at Couch Law Firm in Lawrence, Kansas. They answered questions and provided pro bono advice on the Kansas Open Records Act, which we used to obtain the 911 tape you hear in this episode. Thanks to Fort Scott City Clerk Diane Clay, who aided in the release of the tape, and to Fort Scott City Manager Dave Martin, who ultimately approved the tape's release. This season of Where It Hurts is hosted and reported by me, Sarah Jane Tribble. Tarina Lofton is our production assistant. Tanya English, managing editor and managing producer for the podcast, is KHN's senior editor for broadcast innovation. 
Greg Montanu at St. Louis Public Radio is our sound and design engineer. Diane Weber, national editor for broadcast, and Cajun's editor-in-chief, Elizabeth Rosenthal, are editorial liaisons to the show. Sarah Geis loaned us her fresh ears to help improve this episode. And my husband, kids, and family in Kansas sacrificed to make Where It Hurts a reality. Season one, No Mercy, is dedicated to my older sister, Maggie. The podcast is a co-production with St. Louis Public Radio and Kaiser Health News, a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. KHN is an editorially independent program of KFF.